You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. It is Thursday, May 16th, 2019, and this is the MMA Beat. Welcome, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. I'm the host of this program. I am from MMA Fighting as well as SiriusXM, and I'm joined by probably my favorite kind of panel. Got a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. It's a nice mix. Uh, to my left, it is Danny Segura from MMAfighting.com. To his left is Phoenix Carnavali from the In Fighting Shape podcast, Access TV, UFC Unfiltered, a whole bunch of places. And at the very end, you know that donk. That's Brian <laughs> Campbell in his like reverse seersucker suit. Complete with uh, barbecue sauce stain right look here. Look at that. Look Amazing. Right past that right? uh, he's from uh, CBS as well as your. Can you, are you from FS1? No, but I host a show on Fox and FS1 called PBC Face to Face. Check it out. Yeah. Check your local listings. I yeah. did see it the other day. Right. It was all right. It's pretty good. I'll, I'll take all right from Luke. Go yeah, that's good. Uh, so we have a lot to get to. I'm sorry that we started late. Somebody, I was on the trip up this morning from Washington, D.C., and someone got hit by a train outside of Baltimore. So we just had to sit out there for like an hour, hour and a half. So I'm sorry. But we are here. There will be no after the beat, unfortunately, but we appreciate anyone who sends any questions or comments using the uh, hashtag the MMA beat, please keep sending them. We'll pick that up next week. We just don't have any time today. Sorry about that. Okay, let's start the show though, Danny. Shall we? Let's do it. Look at you. You look well rested. Yes. Look at that. I like thin stash, Danny. The best. Yeah, when it's when it's manicured, there's something to that. I, I bad, agree. Man. Very hipster. Very Miami. I like it. All right, so let's talk about it. This is. Uh, we'll, UFC 237 has been talked about to death. We will get to some of the leftovers that a little bit later. Mm-hmm. But hello, everybody. There is a fight this week. Really? Yes, yes. I know that there's no buzz for it. But in fact, it is mm-hmm. true. There is a UFC event this weekend. UFC Find Out, I think it's 152, UFC Rochester. It's taking place at a venue named after a pharmaceutical company, which is always kind of fun, or an insurance uh, provider. In any event, at the top of the card is a welterweight contest between two former one-case champion, another one, a title contender, the weight class down. Both have now moved up. One has had some success in Rafael Dos Anjos. The other one is making his maiden voyage to this weight class. When you think about this fight, what is the most important element to understanding it? Well, I think this is uh, this is circumstances just obligating you know fighters to move up. This, these two guys are clearly way too big for lightweight. But as we've seen, at least with Dos Anjos, we're going to see how, you know... Um, Lee fills out, but at least for Dos Anjos, he's still a bit small for welterweight. So, you know, they, they've talked about possibly not even coming at 170, but coming at, coming in at 165 just to make a statement. But th- this is what's, what happens. You know, there, there needs to be a weight class there. And because there isn't, guys like uh, Rafael Dos Anjos, guys like Kevin Lee are going to be forced to move up to welterweight and, and compete. Um, it, this doesn't really feel like a welterweight bout to me. It almost feels like a lightweight bout. Um, same thing with a few others that I'm sure we'll get to later on the show. But, um, yeah, this is just circumstances, you know, pushing these guys up. And also, this speaks volumes to the mess going at 155 that people would just rather, you know, fight a weight class up and, 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 and be involved yeah, in that Yeah, get in line at 55 yeah. with all them exactly. politics. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about, Luke. Yeah, Phoenix, what do you think about this fight? What's the biggest story? I think the biggest story really is possibly the idea of the weight and also taking a look at Kevin Lee at this weight and saying— was that part of the problem in the past? Because if we see him against somebody like RDA, and if he is going to use his wrestling, and we've seen that experience with RDA before him having trouble there, then we can take a look at that, and we can really judge Kevin Lee a little bit better, and we can have a little bit more of a, of a say on who he is and how he fights. 
Because I remember in the beginning, before the fights with Alicuenta, we would say, oh my God, look at him. He's, he's going to be a big star. And then it kind of like kind of filtered off a little bit. So I think it, it'll really kind of let us know where he is and where he's going to be in the division. Yeah, and this is the perfect crossroads fight, not just because they have two careers that could be going in either directions, but because RDA set the blueprint that Lee's basically following, which is reinvent yourself at a weight higher that's close to your natural weight. RDA was a really great lightweight. He won the title, almost mm-hmm. killed himself trying to make weight a few yeah. times. We've seen Kevin Lee's problems. This will tell us right now what we have in Kevin Lee. And the thing you got to love about the welterweight division right now, it's completely reloaded. Didn't really have a huge identity the last few years with Woodley on top. Wasn't that deep. This thing's suddenly hot fire. And the idea of inserting Kevin Lee to it, who screams future champion every time he's in the cage, had some misfortune, had some bad luck, had some great fights he just lost. He might be able to tell us this Saturday if he's going to be able to get in line for a title and he's going to have a much shorter path to get there, even with the big names, because of the giant mess of 55. Let me put you right back to you. He had made the claim, Kevin Lee, in fact, this week, I forget which media outlet, so please forgive me because I've forgotten where I saw it. But he said that now 170 is more stacked than 155. Is that true or false? Now, obviously, it's not he, true. obviously it's not he's true. saying it to promote this he is. This grand debut he's having. But is I will say this. There has been some kind of matriculation. You had Max Holloway go up. That didn't work. So now you've got these other guys trying to figure out what's going to happen. Nate Diaz coming back. That's kind of crazy. But that's going to be at 170 against Anthony Pettis, who also went up. All right, when you it's, add those it's, two, it's not it a crazy makes the thought. case. But let's not forget that lightweight is historically deep the last few years. And yeah. it's a complete train wreck with the idea of, is Connor going to defend his title? Is he going to come back? And now Habib's suspended and Tony Ferguson can't get a title fight and all the other madness going on. But it's really deep, Phoenix. It gets me fired the heck up. I mean, you got Askren in there. You got a reinvented Lawler. You got Masvidal. You got a lot going on there. Fun argument, hipster argument. Better hipster move than Danny with that thin mustache. But 155 <laughs> is all killer, no filler. Let's be honest. I, I like them both, though, if we really look at it. And I like the mix-ups because people are moving around. Because it, it sets up more matches and more possibilities. It sets up that, like, um, kind of dream, I want this guy against that type guy type of thing. I, I like the idea. I mean, I do like 165. I, I still wish that was Preach. an option. But... But I do like people moving around, and I'm always thinking about the safety and the health of the fighters. So it's like, great, move around. Give yourself more competition. So I don't want to say 155 is better or more stacked than 170. I want to say this mix-up opportunities, it makes it more fun for me to see matches up matches that I might not have seen in the past. I, I would say, well, Tori, right now, it's a great division, don't get me wrong, but it's a bit of a smoke and mirrors because a lot of— the players that are making that division great right now are, are lightweights or former lightweights. And look, I wouldn't be surprised. Anthony Pettis hasn't closed the door 100% on lightweight. Uh, Nate Diaz, I wouldn't be surprised if, if he's done, if he makes the cut for, for a specific fight, maybe the Conor McGregor fight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Kevin Lee, I don't think he's, he's closed the door. I think at this point, RDA is pretty much a welterweight. Um, but any of those guys can drop back down to 155 where, you know, the real big fights are at. I think... 155 is still the the division, the biggest division, the the most stacked division. But nonetheless, at this point in time, yeah, welterweight's looking pretty good. So here's what I would say to the the question at hand, or at least the the claim that Kevin Lee posed. It might be more competitive now. You actually might get a welterweight that's pretty commensurate with lightweight, but only because lightweight is so crazy at the top and then so crazy stacked all the way through. People are just trying to find opportunity where they can get it, you know? So... Um, maybe he's right that there's been a bit of a shift, but I think it's only because that real, yeah. the molten core is 155. Nevertheless, when I think about the other story of this fight, Phoenix, to me, it is reinvention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, RDA hit a roadblock against Kamar Usman. 
But it turns out that guy's the best welterweight going right now. So not that big of a deal in some cases, uh, depending on how you want to evaluate it. Now Kevin Lee is looking for reinvention. As we have seen over and over and over again, one of the best ways to just jumpstart your career is find a new weight class. And all kinds of amazing things can happen. Kevin Lee believes if he wins on Saturday, he's going to be in that title mix. Is that, a, is that a fair assessment on his part? I believe so. Like I said earlier, it was we really believed in him when he first got the UFC's attention. So now to be healthier, really, if you ever cut weight in your life, if you've ever cut weight for a competition, that, that whole week, if it's really killing you, you're completely cloudy. And then if you get to a weight and you feel like I don't have to cut as much and I feel healthy, you're almost a different person. And, and then the possibilities of your reinvention, your creativity. Michael Chiesa said it. I'm not fighting for my life in there. I'm able to think. I'm able to be clear. So that reinvention also comes with the fact that you feel reinvigorated as an athlete. If you don't have success and then you wind up jumping back, I mean, that's something that you have to figure out with your weight and your nutrition. But we can tell such a better narrative when we have a, a fighter that's 100% mentally and physically there. Anyone want to add to that? I think Kevin Lee could go on a Robert Whitaker type run here by moving up in weight and completely You're a big believer himself. in Kevin Lee. Everything was his star champion to me. Everything. I know we, you know, we've we so seen. How do you explain people. what happened against Ally Quinta? Tough match at a weight class that he just barely makes. And I think Phoenix nailed it. Look, it robs from your gas tank. It robs from your ability to explode. It robs from your power. It robs from your mental stability and yeah. focus. And I'm not taking anything away from Al. I think that certain fighters have each other's number. You can be great, and but yet still, like, look at um, Frank Edgar and, and Jose Aldo. He always had a hard time with him. I just think that there's certain people that have your number. Oh, and, and, and that and could be a that. strong possibility, too. But lightweight is a violent meat grinder. It's a hamster wheel. Because even if you win and stay relevant against the guys in the middle of the pack, they're taking a lot out of you each time, and it's hard to get in line as we establish for that title. Yeah. By the way, is lightweight so deep that it's giving you the feels of light heavyweight at the end of the last decade? Yes, very much. Yeah. It, is, it, is, it, is, it is your golden division. Again, there are some problems at the top right now, as yeah. we all know, but let's assume that that gets relatively resolved. Uh, it is pretty clearly your marquee division. Always yeah, fun. Sure. It's yeah. always fun. Yeah, I think... To that point, I think one of the things that we're looking at if to, to be that division kind of like reminds of, of the golden days of the light heavyweight division is that at least in the light heavyweight division, it felt like matchups were rolling out and people were fighting each other constantly. At lightweight, it just seems a bit of a stalemate right yep. now. Um, we'll see, you know, once Habib fights um, Dustin Poirier, how that rolls out. But yeah, it is one of the top divisions. I, I would like to add to the Kevin Kevin Lee point. Like, yes, he, you know, he had a hiccup against... You know, Ali Quinta, yes, I, I, those points are valid. Like, maybe the weight cut did kill him. But if you, I don't know if you've ever met him in person. He's, he's not a very tall guy. No. I really don't think he, he his frame suits uh, to, be, to be the best he can be at welterweight. I, I think 165 is, is probably the weight class, and that's why he's been so, yeah. you know. I completely uh, agree. He's been so, you know, advocate about that weight class and wanting to make that. It's just he's got no other option, so he's going to fight at welterweight. I'm sure right. he can find success, and he can be a very good fighter at welterweight. But the best of Kevin Lee we probably see him at 155 or 165. Unless he can sort of rely on his wrestling at welterweight yeah. and the speed of it and kind of and, be a, a Frankie Edgar 2.0 right. in this new and era. Because he's basically a, a, a grappler, you know? So a wrestler. So he's not like Frankie Edgar where he's going to stick and move and, and really use his footwork and movement. At least he that's, can bang though, Dave. That's how I see it. He bangs. Yeah, he yeah, bangs. for sure. Believe it. Um, but <laughs> I mean, when he fights RDA, this is something I don't like about this matchup. It's not very telling on how he's going to do at welterweight because 
Dos Anjos is not really a welterweight. I mean, we've seen him go against other welterweights. And However, him, you know, he is he ranked up. third in that division. Yeah, he had a, a yeah. fucking we'll streak going. That's but, true. Yeah. yeah, that's true. I mean, it's it's a. I mean, I, I completely get why Kevin Lee is 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 taking this fight. And look, if you actually want to do a long run at 170, this is a perfect introduction, right? Like Max Holloway yeah. should have been been fighting a solid 155er. He should have been fighting a smaller 155er if he wanted to, you know, have a sustained run at 155, right? Same thing with this. If he wants to stay. You know, long in at 170, this is the way to go. But um, I don't think this fight will be super telling as far as like what he could do at welterweight. I generally agree with you though. Yeah. Like in person, he is well muscled and athletic, he's big, yeah. but he's not like um, him next to Darren Till. You would think that they were multiple yeah. weight classes apart, and technically, that's one that could have happened even at welterweight. I mean, I, I'm not saying that it's inevitable. I'm just it's, it'd be crazy to even contemplate that. I agree. He is going to be much better suited yeah. if, if and when they ever make a 165, which is why. He was such a vocal advocate. By the way, getting back to the Iaquinta fight, remember he changed some of the people in his corner for this one. I interviewed him after. I also believe he has championship abilities, but it's going to come down to, uh, remember, he's still in his 20s, so growing his skill set, getting the right kind of people around him, and getting some good game plans. I did not like the Iaquinta game plan. I don't think, in retrospect, he liked it a lot either. So it's going to be interesting to see how he handles someone like Dos Anjos. Now, there's other fights on this card. It's actually this card is taking place on ESPN+, Plus, which, by the way, I had to renew my subscription today. Didn't enjoy that very much. I'm not sure how much I get out of the ESPN Plus experience other than what is, like, conscripted of me for the job. Um, are y'all not feeling, like, these cards, both of these uh, main and co-main, sorry, main card and prelim, it's all ESPN Plus this weekend. There's, like, no buzz for this thing. I mean, yeah, zero. No. Hey, I'm noticing this. I'm noticing this. I like streaming for all the convenience and future-proofing it provides. And I'm not calling the UFC lazy, I don't feel big pushes when they do these kinds of events. No, no. I, I, I'm not saying the card is bad because the card is sneaky good. And maybe in Rochester, they did all the local news. But from in, like where I'm sitting, I don't feel any buzz for I mean, not even a little bit. Whose fault is that? I think it comes off of the heels of the last fight. That's the problem. It's like we're still coming down off of Anderson's leg, Namunas falling on her head, and then all of a sudden this fight. You know, so I think that has a lot to do with it, too. It was like so much building up to that. And then, oh, then this and then this is next. It just, that's what it feels like to me, because as soon as I was finished with that, I had to look up the now and the next situation with Kevin Lee and blah, blah, blah. It just felt like there was a lot of information all at one time. Mm. But when you do go onto their website, there's a lot of little videos here to take a look at. And uh, I think that maybe that's what it is. It's just something very big and then something else follows right away. And it's kind of shadowed. Yeah, it's, it's oversaturation for sure. But also, like, as you said, I don't see any big push. I don't see, you know, I, at least from my perspective, you know, like just watching YouTube, random YouTube videos, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I, I kept getting, you know, UFC 237 commercials. Like, oh, Rosemary yeah, Yunus yeah. is going to huh. fight Jessica Andrade. Interesting. I haven't seen any for this fight. Um, you know what's crazy? Like, they're fighting think, in Rochester, yeah. upstate? I didn't see, like, when did they do any media here? In exactly. Here? So here's yeah. my point. Like, when they were on FS1, you would see the two dogs in the main event on SportsCenter yeah. for 10 minutes with Kari Champion. I haven't seen that haven't in five months. Yeah. Well, Rochester mm -hmm. is the equivalent of about four states away from the city. Okay, yeah. I understand. But, like, I mean, you're not that far from it. Make the make the pull yeah, through. Exactly. I'm just a little surprised. I don't know. I, I would have... Kind of expected to be oh, May, May is a pretty crazy sports month. It is the busiest sports month of the year. I mean, I know we look at the, the college football bubble and the pro football bubble at the end of the year, but I mean, in May, you saw two weekends ago, the, the Cinco de Mayo one, you've got Kentucky Derby, biggest boxing fight of the year, NBA, NHL playoffs. So it can get lost within that, but yeah. I think the oversaturation is ultimately the key. Yeah. Sure. You ever been to Rochester? Yes. You ever rocked out there? They have a delicacy that they eat there called the garbage plate. You ever get in on that? Um, I know what you're talking about. I've not, it's a paper I've not plate. dined. 
that's got uh, home fries, uh, chili, couple beef patties, uh, just slop. It's a slop What a plate. sad existence. It should be a sad existence, but once you get in that thing, once you just yeah. start swimming around in there. <laughs> this is not germane to anyone's conversation, <laughs> well, so we're going I'm going to say, this card in Rochester kind of mirrors their delicacy. I don't uh, love it. It's, it's, it's a lot of calories, I, I not really it. that great, but it. there's some things in there that kind of make that, me pop. Yeah. All right, so there are some things in there. I was just kind of talking about how There I, are, but it's not being promoted. Like, if, yeah. if it wasn't because of this job, I probably wouldn't know that, I wouldn't be aware that UFC Rochester is going down this weekend. Yeah, like, what, if you're media, if you're me, like honestly, let's pull back the curtain a little bit. You have a responsibility to cover the news, and we will. On the other hand, and I think the audience understands this to a degree, it is business, right? Meaning, what business incentive do we have to cover this event? And I'm being dead serious. What business incentive do we have? You have I a journalistic do, obligation. But, yeah. <laughs> there is zero business incentive to right. give this one, one second of attention. Um, it will do nothing. It will do nothing for you. And so. I, I don't know. It's a little. I don't. I, I kind of expected more because they came out of the gate hot on ESPN, and five months in, we had the lowest ratings ever for prelims uh, on um, yes, for, during the ESPN Saturday. era for for on Saturday. And now for following up with this, it's just a little weird. That being said, there are some other gems on the card. Brian, I'll go up to you. Megan Anderson back in action after the Cat Zingano fight. She was happy to take a rematch. I thought all the criticisms of her. Oh, that should be an eye poke and blah, blah, blah. Look, that is, whatever you want to make of that rule, it ain't her fault. She did exactly what she was told. She offered to do a rematch, and now she's back in action. There was an article about her weight cut by our former colleague, Mark Ramundi. What is this? Uh, stay warm kind of fight? Stay in, stay in you know, in case um, something happens with Holly and, um, and uh, um, now my, my... Amanda. Amanda. Down the line, what is this fight? It is a stay warm, stay busy fight. I think if you're uh, Megan, you can probably start tooting the horn and say, hey, UFC, what are we doing here? We've seen recent history where people become the champ champ. I know you love that term, by the way. Yep. They get pushed in a corner and say, hey, you got to give up one of those belts. Which direction are you going? Amanda is the the quote, as Clarissa Shields said. Can we retire quote and yeah, never say that again? Stupid. She's the damn goat. Anyway, my point here is... Uh, they haven't made Amanda decide yet. If you're Anderson, you might want to be pushing that and going, hey, featherweight, I checked your rankings on UFC.com. We're two and a half years into this, still no top 10. I'm the only name anyone knows in that division right now. Right. Can I be fighting Amanda? Can I be fighting Cyborg for a vacant title? What are we doing here? It's, it's hi, Felicia. It's welcome, Felicia, into the division. It's keep people thinking about that division. It's keep uh, Anderson busy. It's it's work up to what's going on until Amanda and Holly. I like it. It's like, let's let's get some action going. Let's get people thinking about that division again. She can't go anywhere else. If she cuts 20 pounds. We saw that in an article. She yeah. cannot. There's no other division she's going to go. And, um, and she does deserve some attention. I think they wanted that to begin with. These are two former Invicta champions that will be fighting each other. It brings attention to some people that have possibilities there. So I'm all about it. Yeah, this is a... Th th any fight booked in the women's featherweight division is going to be a weird fight because you don't know where it's going to end up in. Like, you don't know sure. what it's going to lead to, right? We don't know if it's a number one contender about. We don't know anything. Also... Um, I don't know if Amanda Nunez has any intentions of defending both belts. Um, she might retire after this. She, that's right. She, she, Holly she, she, will be she the hit last the retirement champion. before right. this, before getting booked. To, and it'll with be Holly all about Holm, Nina. So, and yeah. you know. And at this point, look, if she beats Holly Holm, like, what else is there for her to do? I mean, I, she's the goat. You know, if you just look at her resume. So, um, I think the UFC. This is a stay busy fight because you know. Um, you know, there needs to be some sort of uh, continuity. There needs to be some sort of you know movement in that division but as far as like what it means 
I don't think it means a whole lot. They're just kind of putting that fight to see how it happens and then, you know, seeing what other, how other things pan out in, with uh, Amanda Nunes. So there is one other, there's actually a few good fights on the card. Um, I have some in my mind. The one I'm going to point to, we don't have to discuss it, I just wanted to, to, to make note of it, is going to be uh, Shoeface, Antonio Carlos Jr., who I'm a big believer in, taking on Ian Heinish. I love I, me I, some I, Ian Heinish. Golly, this is, that's such a great fight. Such a great fight. Shoeface, to me, has some of the most modern jiu-jitsu Especially for a big man. He's got, um, there was this guy who used to compete more regularly in just sport jiu-jitsu. His name was Abraham Marte. And uh, he, well, I think it was, um, I, I want to say Costa Rican? Yeah, was he's Brazilian? Costa, Costa Rican. Yeah. And um, he had what I would call Frank Mir jiu-jitsu, which is small man, very powerful jiu-jitsu for a huge person, right? So he had, you know, a good guard and he had just really could find his way into tiny spaces and Things like that. Shoeface is like that, but he can be powerful too, and he's learned how to adapt it to MMA. I think he's coming into his own, but Ian Heinish is nobody to be trifled with. Love that fight. Any other fight on the card? Anybody here? There's some. There's some other gems on there that you guys like. Anyone yeah. wants to go? Well, oh, well, go ahead. I, so I work for the LFA. So the LFA is basically considered the conveyor belt into the UFC. So a lot of these people that that everyone's like, who I've seen before, I've watched their growth. The growth. So we got Austin Hubbard, who's also on the card. And I think um, Derek Krantz is stepping in for Neil yep, Magny. Yeah. He's against he's, Vicente Luque, which is yeah. that's a big a deal because that kid has 22 fights and 20 of those are are finishes. I mean, he's really tough. He's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. So I like Derek Krantz. Luque is a lot more experienced. This is a huge step up, especially since Krantz was supposed to go to the Contender Series. He wasn't wow. supposed to just jump onto this wow. card. He impressed Dana White, and then they give him this. So it's a big opportunity, a scary opportunity, but Derek Krantz is the type of dude that'll be up for it. Yeah. Um, and then Austin Hubbard, is this is one of the worst stoppages I've ever seen in, in probably LFA history or, in, or even fight history. The last time I saw Austin Hubbard, he was beating this guy, Achilles Moda, and the ref was just like on break like 20-something unanswered shots. Looked like he was going to stop it. Stopped it and then said, nah. And then like, oh, the, I think I remember yeah, this, you yes. got to check this out. It's pretty crazy. But so these are up and coming stars that are getting this opportunity that I've seen really pull off some, some slick performances. So it might be this card that we learn about a bunch of new faces that'll really impress us. Yeah. I hope. I'm probably just being optimistic. I like the uh, booking between Aspen Ladd and Sajara Eubanks. Um, yes. Yeah. That's another one. I, I'm yeah. curious. There's a, there's a plenty of little storylines in that matchup. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to see how Eubanks looks at 135 because, you know, we we've mainly, at least in the UFC, we've seen her is at 125. She's mm-hmm. failed to make that cut, at least in her last bout against uh, Mata Ferry. Um, so I'm curious to see how she looks at 135. And, dude, Aspen Ladd was scheduled to fight Holly Holm, and that fight got, uh, you know, just take, ripped out. Yeah, just yeah. ripped out. Yeah. And, and, we know the UFC believes in her. She's young, and she could potentially get a big fight if she puts an impressive performance against uh, Eubanks. I so, think it worked out better for her this way around. Yeah, I mean, you're young. You you want time to develop. I think mm-hmm. Holly Holm's a tough ask for, for anybody in that division. So um, we'll see. But Aspen Ladd has, has a really bright future, and you know she needs that win to, to continue that. Hey, mm-hmm. Luke, you're, you're a body guy, a weight room guy. This guy, Ian Heinish, Jurassic back. I mean, this guy, yeah. he's, he's well yeah. muscled. He yeah. was lifted in the can. Slick jiu-jitsu, too, from wrestling transitions. Like, he's shown me a lot of really cool uh, moves and stuff that he does that's, like, similar to Khabib, but he'll also find a submission in between his transitions of ground and pound. I I think he's really talented. And, of course, everyone knows his prison stories at this point. I had him on my show. We talked about (laughs) him endlessly. It's wild. Any other fight you wanted to uh, highlight? 
How is anyone not talking about Nick Lentz, Charles Oliveira? Oh yeah, I mean that's right. That is the uh, only thing left. So to on the garbage plate, <laughs> yeah. so the hidden the hidden jewel on the garbage plate, by the way, is the baked beans that they slide right in the They're middle. The baked that's beans. what that fight. That's the, the baked, baked beans. beans. That's a good fight. Uh, also, uh, Desmond Green is making a comeback on. I believe the so. I think yeah. he's from the Rochester area. Yeah, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah. So. yeah, I like him. He's hey, John Jones is from the Rochester area. Maybe he could be an ambassador at the show. Maybe I don't think he cares, but I certainly wouldn't want to speak for him. So anyway, that's going to be on ESPN Plus, both main and co-main. Sorry, main card and prelim card. I apologize uh, on Saturday. Now let's go back to some of the news that has broken. I think this was uh, on Monday or Tuesday that it broke. Let's talk about Frankie Edgar and that title shot that he is now going to get. So I, <laughs> I would have bet my life. In fact, I had Volkanovsky. I talked to him on this screen on Monday, and I was like, "Oh, it's going to be you, bud. You're going to get that title shot. It's going to be you." Yeah, tw- from a Chilean hospital? Yeah, no, he was in the, he was on his way to yeah. the airport when he did it, and then that was when everything fell apart, and then, of course, uh, I, I don't know that in the end that was the reason why, in fact, I'm pretty sure it's not the reason why he got um, mm-hmm. passed over, but in any case, Frankie Edgar at UFC 240, I believe, in July in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, is going to face Max Holloway for the UFC featherweight title. Phoenix, I will start with you on this one. You, I mean, shouldn't start with Good me. call, bad call, right I'm call. I'm so biased. I'm not going to leave well, then, lie okay, stay, and pretend that I'm not then biased. He, then here's the answer. <laughs> state your biases up front and then know your position. Because it's Frankie Edgar. It's Frankie Edgar. And that and it wasn't supposed to happen now. Maybe the timing is weird, but that fight was supposed to happen. And who's going to complain about seeing the two of them go at it? Nobody's going to complain about seeing them go at it. And let Alexander heal from whatever infection he has, and the, and his day will come. It's a courtesy fight. Okay, it's a courtesy fight. But have we not given some of the veterans courtesy fights before? Is that Michael a good Bisping idea? and yeah, Henderson. Dan Henderson come on. Right, like that was a. Is it a good idea? For Frankie, I believe so. And again, this is me being biased because this was a company man. This is a, a likable fighter. This is someone who always delivers. Um, I think that if anybody deserves that exception, it probably should be Frankie. And it's also, it's not like Alexander is not going to fight again. It would have been a quick turnaround for him anyway. So I think timing-wise and also respect for the veteran-wise, this really does work out to everyone's favor. I mean, it, it's... It's a sneaky I, good match. I, this it's is why really I, 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 like, I know that I'm... I'm being a little biased because, you know, I, I want to see the next contender get the shot, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, Frankie really took that risk against Ortega. This was already supposed to happen. It's the division's best anyway. So I'm fine. I'm happy about it. Here's the missing link in this. You know what this really is? Let's be really honest. There's no get well fights in UFC. There's no get well title fights except for this one. This is a get well title fight. I know Frankie's great. He's 37. I love the man. But you don't want Max Holloway to get thrown right back into into the into the you know whatever whatever you want to say there um, after going through hell there against Poirier for five rounds. So you think this is like a semi tune up? This is a semi tune up. It's a glitzy a and glamorous get well fight, and it's great. And surely Frankie can win it. And we all love us some Frankie. But if you're the UFC, Max has been in so many wars, win or lose. He just came off a hellacious one. You do want to kind of give him a soft landing to come back in rather than say. I don't know if Frankie's a soft landing for anybody. I'm sorry. This is well for Brian Ortega. Yeah, because that was definitely that happened yeah, quickly that was, for him. Yeah, yeah. I think there is maybe I think you're onto something in the sense of like you know you, you're not look Frankie Edgar's a very capable fighter could beat Max Holloway I don't know but what I do know is that Max uh, Frankie Edgar's not known like for example like a Dustin Poirier to have like this crazy power. No, um, he'll he'll outpoint you. He'll outbox you. You know. Um, and maybe there's something to be said on the long term for the accumulation of shots. That may, maybe maybe that's worse. But as far as for for a short window, um, you know, Frank Edgar, you know, you can make a case that he'll cost less damage than 
say he'll draw more Volkanovski. than anybody in that top ten. This is something that I would say for people right, that are right. hating this matchup. Wait until the fight week rolls up because that's gonna feel like a big fight, man. Frank Edgar was involved in some big pay per views back in the day, and he's still a very skilled fighter. So if you're hating on the matchup, just wait until fight week rolls up, and I'm sure you're. And gonna I'm not saying he it. can't win it. No, like, no, no but, I, but, I, but I get everybody's point. It's troublesome yeah. for especially uh, like departed Frankie fans. He's had a lot more injuries in the last recent years between his face and his groin and like all the things that have happened to him. So it, it's troublesome to see him go in with somebody like Max Holloway. But I also think that. We always wanted this fight. Yeah, maybe it, maybe we, it's diluted somewhat because of all the things that have happened since the Ortega situation. But did anyone not want it to happen when it was supposed to? I mean, I think yeah, we always I thought that they were in, on, on each board. other's trajectory and it was fun. I think this is one of the very first times or one of the very few times that it actually works out for the UFC where the number one contender gets skipped over. Um, for the most part, once the number one contender gets skipped over, it's just chaos in the division and there's a lot of things that come out of it, not good things. I think for this specific moment, it actually works out. Because um, yeah. look, this is this fight's in July. Volkanovski just fought. He's battling an infection. I don't think the I don't think the blood infection has anything to do with it. No, I don't think the decision was 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 made in part. I don't think the UFC is well. like, oh, he has a uh, you know an infection. Let's just book you know Edgar Holloway the next day. But it it, it worked out. You know, it happened. Um, and look, Max Holloway. Apparently, from from what people are saying, he you know Max Holloway wants to stay busy, so maybe you know he can get a fight you know later this year, and that's not too big of a gap in between fights. And uh, you know, Frank Yeager, that fight's been booked twice, man. And Frank Yeager's been you know a soldier for the company. And he's so, a like, company man, you know, yeah, yeah, the reward he, he company deserves, man. Yeah, right. He may not have as and many also, finishes in his old age as Robert Kraft. Frank Yeager's not Dan fight, Henderson. Right? Frank Yeager's not ranked. Wasn't ranked thirteenth. You know, yeah, yeah, what is yeah. Frank Yeager sitting at? He's probably in the top five or so. So again, the thing about like, oh, Frankie took a risk for them. Um, against Ortega, like lots of people take lots of risks for them, mm-hmm. and it never pays off. I'm not sure I buy that argument either. It could be true. I'm not saying it's not yeah. true, but like, hello, he also has Frankie Edgar has one of the most powerful, if not, I would argue, the most powerful manager in the game. I bet that has a lot more to do with it than like the UFC wants to do a solid for Frankie. Yeah, I don't. I bet that seems, even, that no, seems it's like, probably that, negotiated. That seems like yeah, hokey you know? nonsense that they feed media that everyone just repeats. Mm, I don't buy that. I mean, I also really just that. from a business down, a standpoint, like I think Edgar Holloway is a bigger fight than Correct. Holloway. Yes. Correct. That's, that's the yeah. so, let's, so let's be real right. about it. Number yeah. one, it's a bigger name. Yeah. Okay. For sure. Which, by the way, does good, good things for either winner. Uh, number two, I would actually argue that yes, Volkanovski has the better resume. Uh, because the win over Aldo is so clear as like you a beat Aldo, your number one contender. On the other hand, I would argue that Frankie's 2015 win over Chad is much better than Volkanovski's 2018 win yeah. over Chad Mendez. Um, and while obviously Volkanovski has been on an incredible run, and I'm, I am agreeing that Volkanovski's resume is better, it's not as far apart as people might think. But to me, I wonder if anyone here disagrees. Look, man, the UFC goes, okay, he's got a fight, we got a calendar. Where are we going to put it? Yeah. Who's available? What's going to sell? Dot, 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 bing. And they come up on this. This idea that, like, well, who's got the best resume, that that matters. But all the other considerations matter as well. True or false? I agree. True, yeah. I do agree. And I, and I, and I say, yes, he de- he's deserving of it. I don't know if that's the reason why they necessarily make it. But I think that he's his him being deserving of it is one of the reasons why we can't complain about it. And um, and I do think that maybe when the Ortega fight was scheduled, it was still in conversation. Yeah, if you take this fight, you will still get you back in the mix for that title contention, even if you lose. Maybe that was one of the conversations that happened. And he said, all right, well, 
I'm not at so much of a risk if I fight Ortega. These might have been the, the, the things that were behind the curtain that his manager did discuss prior to those fights and leading up into this one. Yeah. It might have been like, look, we'll, we'll negotiate a little bit. You save that card. There could also be big possibilities there. All right. Um, last thing I say is pop quiz. How old is Frankie Edgar? 37. He's 37 years old. If he's going to get a title shot now, right now, right now, because otherwise I don't know what's going to happen for him. So, uh, and by the way, should be a great fight. I'm not. Oh, he'll be more it. competitive than Chael Sonnen was against John Jones, which is a similar situation, or even a. I know Dan Hendo already on, almost finished Bisping twice in yeah. the end, mm-hmm. but on paper that was a really. To bad your match. point, I think uh, I think Frankie Edgar absolutely can win, but to the thing you were discussing, like it's a bit of a like a help Max heal kind of situation. What I would say is. Frankie Edgar can bring anybody hell. Yeah. If I and he might. If I had to guess who brings more hell right now to Max, I would my hunch is that it'd be Volkanovski, but I don't know that. Yeah. So it's it's something just I think that's what he was driving at. A yeah, yeah. I could be wrong about it, of course. Um, speaking of somebody who gives people hell, I want to segment this out because I don't think that there was nearly enough talk about it this past week. Um, Patricio Pitbull. <laughs> Whoa just rolls through Michael Chandler like it's nothing and becomes your second ever Bellator champ champ, but becomes it in arguably their two best divisions, 145 and 155. You look at Pitbull's resume, man. Jesus, it's very good. And it got me to wondering, I spoke to Jose Youngs, our colleague, Mm -hmm. earlier this week um, because he covered that fight. I asked him, is Pitbull the best Bellator fighter ever. He said yes. Brian, is that true? He is. He's the the face on the poster right now. I always used to look at it, Alvarez, as the patriarch, the guy, the one guy in the end. That became Michael Chandler, right? Mm -hmm. You see him in the Dave & Buster commercials. That became him. You go in there and you beat Michael Chandler and you have that resume. How are you going to argue against that? And it was here's a striking thing. When they got in the cage against each other, I think of Michael Chandler as a small lightweight. They get in the cage and they start to read the, the tail of the tape. Chandler looked giant against him. I suddenly felt bad for for Freer. That I'm like, oh wow, three inch, you know, height disadvantage, three inch reach disadvantage. And he goes out there and knocks him out. Was it a bad stoppage? Yes. No. It was I know not. you don't want to go down, go around the track. We, on no, that. we'll talk about but it. It was, it was a bad, bad stoppage. It wasn't. But with that said, it was close enough to an acceptable stoppage that yeah, he's the face. He's the face on the uh, marquee. And his post fight interview. Good Lord, I know it's from the Conor McGregor playbook, but yeah. it was incredible. Yeah, but it, it, was seemed, awesome. it seemed very it genuine. Feels as well. real, it yeah. was straight up f you, Danny. How good is he? He's super good. Uh, if, if you just look at his record, I think promotion-wise, we have you know a sense that like Michael Chandler is the guy at Bellator. But if you just compare the resumes, like you know, Pitbull's losses, he's avenged them, right? He lost to Pat Kern. He's avenged those losses. He lost to Daniel Strauss. He avenged those losses. Um, you know, I guess he the only loss Benson, which he has Benson, not, but yeah. like again, he's fighting somebody outside his normal weight class, and, and he was winning that until the end. Exactly, it was it was also a, a freak injury, um, and then here he comes, you know, going up a weight class to face Michael Chandler, defeats him. He is by far, uh, as a Bellator fighter, he's the best Bellator fighter. Biggest win by Pitbull since Michael Vick getting arrested. <laughs> okay, that was coming. Uh, <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> who are you? <laughs> who are you as a person? Uh, Phoenix, c- c- can they make him a big star? Like, Beltor hasn't even held a show in Brazil yet, which I think would be huge for him yep. and his brother. They could do a whole thing down there. We kind of, like, a lot of these, like, UFC stars who are just really Brazilian stars, 
Like, they're not nobody's here, but you don't really feel their buzz. And then you see them in Brazil, you're like, oh, right. Okay, so they're big there. These Bellator guys don't get that same shine because everything's kind of North American yeah. or European. Yeah. So, like, what can Bellator reasonably do with him? <laughs> Bellator can could get Jose Aldo over to them and then make Pitbull fight Aldo, and that'll make Pitbull the most popular dude ever in Brazil or something like that. I mean, I think that's a that's a big part of it. I think that they should work on promoting him more. He has an interesting backstory, you know, the whole brother situation. It, I think it's a you could possibly make him a star. I mean, they're fun. Well, Pitbull has an idea. You've sure you read this and heard this on how he'll be a star. He wants to box Canelo Alvarez. Right. Yeah. Good luck with that. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Canelo's a, a 160. Yeah. This They're on guy's the same platform. A, a big 160. Yeah. No yeah. Less. yeah. They are on the same platform. Get into yeah, the zone. The zone. Uh, he said he doesn't want to give Michael Chandler a rematch, though, and wants to go back down and wait. So, what about Chandler versus Patricky for the interim title? I'm sorry, for the vacant title. Uh, at 155? Yeah. Remember yeah, that? You that you knockout he's, but he's already beat him twice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. but he had Danny's mustache that last time he got knocked out. That was fantastic. You remember that <laughs> shot, right? Yeah, I don't know. I think that they have to do a rematch because, um, to your point about the stoppage, my, my view on this is Danny, I wonder how you feel about it. It's like, was it a great stoppage? No, it was certainly not a great stoppage. Could it have been better? Of course. But on some level, like, what can you reasonably expect from the referee? If your guy is bellied out taking consecutive shots, I get that he instantly was like, wait, 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 wait. So I understand. I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying you're dealing with a live person in a dangerous situation. You have to have a reasonable expectation of what they can and can't decide. It's a reasonable call. Yeah. Given, yeah. The, given the sort For of sure. Chance. I mean, Michael Chandler was not, you know, in there fighting for a double. He didn't have his arms he was around just the leg. like this. Yeah. He was just taking shots, you know? Um, and at the end of the day, you know, he got dropped. Chandler got dropped. You know, that's 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 just the, the way it is. I, I think I remember like when Uriah Faber fought Hennebaral, he was rocked, but then he was fighting for the double. Yeah. And then you go, okay, what are you what are you doing? What are you stopping the fight? Like, you know, he's doing something. Uh, whereas here, Michael Chandler was just face down. I, I do I believe that some of the punches, he was out and some of the punches woke him back up. Yeah. He was out. He, there was no clean punch was when he was free, on the ground, He froze for a couple seconds. Yeah, he did, I, he did so freeze for a little I bit. I thought the same thing you thought when I watched it at one angle. And then when I watched it from the second angle, I was like, oh, okay. So if you're a referee and you see someone completely freeze, yeah. even if it's just for a couple seconds and you don't want them to take any more unanswered damage, you jump in. So maybe he jumped in a little quick, but maybe he just didn't want to wait anymore. So I think that that whole frozen a- section, which was for just a couple seconds, is what made the ref say, I have to and stop look, There's it a out. chance that Chandler could have recovered and sure, fell yeah. back. Sure, I understand That's frozen. Why we have to see a sometimes you got to let that thing go. But here's the deal. you got to go about situational sometimes. What if Josh Rosenthal had stopped Lesnar Carwin when Brock's getting, when Brock's turtled up in the corner and getting stopped? We don't see that finish. What if Jack Reese stops Wilder? I don't think Lesnar ever took a shot bellied out. Lesnar got his ass beat and was bleeding. Shane Carwin brought the thunder, but he never took a shot, unanswered, consecutive unanswered right, shots. We'll go back to out. the Monday morning analyst tape and we'll see it. Even Jack Reese in December, Fury Wilder, you saw that in boxing. Yeah. He didn't just teabag Fury and count him out. He gave him the full 10 seconds. Fury rises like the Undertaker. My yeah. point is, we're in mm-hmm. round one of a championship versus champion match, no, a, I, a title yeah, match, for sure. and a fighter and Chandler whose time. reputation yeah. is to well, get this, rocked and come okay, back. But this thing about like, well, it's a champion mm. fight, like you had Dillashaw and Cejudo, this is a nothing consideration. Referees have to make a call with the information they have like all this. Right, but Luke, yeah. what's that They're not all going to be close. And Look. the real answer is, the real answer is, um, that instant replay should have some ability to decide. Let me ask you this. What's that incredible. referee's name? Which one? The guy who blew the call. The first one? The guy Kevin McDonald. Oh, you knew it, right? Oh, Al, Mad- uh, Al Madrigal. No, Rob Madrigal. Okay, the fact that we had to just cycle through there. Where's all the referees we know for arguably the biggest Bellator fight in history? So my, my point is you let that thing go. You let it. He didn't. Yeah. He wasn't like he was on his back, not doing anything, and got straight up concussed on the ground. Yeah. 
he's he's trying to protect himself and re. Yeah, if you want to say the commission could have had someone else in there, that's fine. But in the end, I, I looked at the call and I was thinking to myself, it wasn't great, but it's understandable. And that's really, yeah, that's what I yeah, would say. I mean. Yeah, I could agree with it, that. It, it wasn't a great call. Yeah. You know, the reason that we're talking about it is because it wasn't a great call at, the, at this point. But nonetheless, dude, he got dropped and then he took unanswered shots. What do you want this guy to do? You know, what It's weird because this fits right in with Chandler's history of taking tough yeah. losses, even the freak loss against Brent Primus with the ankle injury, and coming back and sure, regaining the and title again. Sure, and that is yes. what leads to brain damage, and that is why people are a little bit No, no, I think he means quicker. in subsequent fights. No, sure, I mean, that's I mean, what that, I mean, but, that, but he's like, come take back from too this. many of those, and that's your style of fighting. You know, know. Way, how not, good is the quick stoppage for Bellator if you can convince Patricio to do a rematch? Oh, it's, it's a it's rematch phenomenal. that yeah, you build it even yeah, harder yeah. as... The winner of this is the all-time because, best in our- Because the smaller guy not only won, but he, he did rock him with that one shot. So you're saying to yourself, even if the stoppage is bad, same with T.J. Dillashaw. Dude, you were hurt. Mm-hmm. You were straight up hurt. Mm-hmm. And so you have to make a decision from there. Let's move on um, to back to the UFC stuff because there were some other big fights that I wanted to talk about, including but not limited to Brian Campbell. Yeah, yeah. That's me. The return of Nathan Diaz. Taking on Anthony Pettis at 170 pounds. Fired the hell up. About damn time, right? So you're so fired up. Tell me the reasons why you're fired up. What is it about this fight that really, in the words of Marie Kondo, sparks joy? Uh, Well, sparks and Nate Diaz is really an apropos term right there. But um, ultimately, it's getting one of the five biggest stars in the sport back into the cage after three years. And it wasn't his fault that at 2.30 last year, Poirier got hurt, that fight fell apart. I didn't even see anyone attempting to try to give Nate another chance or another fight. So it's great to see him back in there. And right now, whether it's welterweight or whether he decides to cut back down to lightweight one more time for a giant fight, Man, is this could this guy be a player for your pay-per-view sales against anyone at any time? He's in that rarefied air right now where he draws so well and has such a sneaky good game. He's you can put him in there against anybody at any time. I'm just so happy that he's back. Matchmaking wise, it seems like a win-win. They can't lose in this. You like it at 170? Yeah, I love it. I love it at 170. I love just seeing Anthony Pettis just being successful now, especially after what we saw, what happened with Wonder Boy, and that was that made me excited about Pettis again. And then he doesn't like Diaz, and like that was that, a surprise. That, I like that. Like yeah. Pettis ne- never behaves like this. He never really has negative things to say. It's rare. So this is interesting to me. It's like. How does Pettis perform when he really just doesn't like someone? Like, he wants to beat him up. This is, we might see him be very aggressive. And with all the new skills that he has, all the new developments that he's gone through with Duke, changing up his style again, feeling like the old Anthony Pettis. So there's a there's a good story here. And who doesn't want to see, like, we talk about Nate Diaz. We won't see the Diaz brothers for years. We're, they're still in the conversation all the time. So there's something about them that just has this allure. And then to have Pettis not like him, yeah, I'm not a trash talk person, but when there's legit rivalry, I always I find that interesting. I actually don't. I'm gonna be a don't party pooper. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. I actually don't like it at 170. Um, I'm really? all about that dehydration. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but no, I actually don't like it at 170 because if you look at all the fights that you could possibly link Nate Diaz to, they're at 155. So having a win in that weight class, having a comeback in that weight class actually means more than it than it does at 170. Now, again, he's fighting somebody that used to fight at 155, so mm-hmm. there's that connection there. Yeah. And he can always drop down for sure. But like, for example, when Cowboy dropped down for 170, you didn't really consider his 170 wins as part of the run at 155. You know what I'm saying? So 
I like this fight from a Styles point. I think it's a fantastic matchup. I'm looking forward to it. I'm glad to see Nate Diaz is back. I think this is a perfect It's genius matchmaking, Danny. But I think at, at 155, that's... No, nah, the way almost doesn't matter. Under normal considerations, I think Danny would be right. Under this one... But look, I, I'm also like, look, this is kind of like the, what is it, the KJ Noon, Sam Stout situation where they're like, yo, we're going to fight. Let's just do it a weight class above, a little healthier. Yeah. I'm also yeah. all about you well, know, look, fighters being healthier. Well, layoff is real, though. Connor was not the same Connor against Habib after two years, regardless of whether he thought he was ever going to have a chance in that that fight or not, uh-huh. Nate's three years away from the game, I think is perfectly offset by the fact that we're not even sure Anthony Pettis is a real welterweight. I saw him get his ass kicked against Stephen Thompson until he pulled a yeah, Derek Lewis Vulcan, oh, you know, uh, punch out of nowhere. Volkov, right yeah. Volkov, Volkov, yeah. yeah. So this, there's questions on both sides. There are two giant names. Wait, what, what, perfection. Well, how, does that, what, how does that relate to 170? Like, uh, but the point is, the weight doesn't matter. It's about getting Nate active again, yeah. and it's about setting up Nate for the big one, sure. which is going to be again, I'm trilogy just, fight I, yeah. or a title fight. I'm just thinking right. here. I think, I think, obviously, nonetheless, this is a great matchup. We got Nate Diaz back. That's the most important thing. Getting right. Nate Diaz back in the octagon. Let's That's be, let's be very see. clear about this. UFC and I think Dana White has denied this. Uh, I know it is true that 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 they offered Nate a title fight against Tyron Woodley. It's just that Tyron wanted, right. excuse me, Nate wanted more money than they were willing to offer. I am I know that as, that is true. Um, so this idea, like, he, like here's what I want you, everyone to think about. I think under normal considerations, I absolutely agree, but Diaz is so different from everyone else. Let's just imagine a scenario where in August 17th, I believe the fight is, in Anaheim, California, Nate knocks him out in the first round. Okay, so now Nate is back. The question you now have to ask yourself is, okay, but what's next? Yeah. Like he's just going to take another contender in the queue? No, he's no, not. No. He is going to take a handful of fights. Connor, a title shot at 170, a title shot if it's not Connor at 155, and that's probably it. This is merely a, a, a reconnection yeah. to activity. It's not some like, well, well, now he's at 170. We have to think of other 170 matchups. I don't buy at all. That he's he's gonna an attraction. Have... Treat him like an attraction right. this time. Please. And he wants to be treated as such. So my point is, under any other fighter virtually, once you're in that space, you got to think about all the other matchups. Mm-hmm. For Nate, he's going to say either it's a title shot here, a title shot there, or a big money fight here. I'm out. Here's my CBD. It came out today that <laughs> Nate wanted RDA, that he reached out to the UFC about that. And that's no, sort of Nick. this. Nick. Oh, that was Nick that was said Nick. that? I yeah. read that incorrectly. In fact, here's what's funny about this fight with Pettis, because we had Duke Rufus on the show on Monday. Uh, the UFC didn't put this one together. Nate's people reached out to Anthony's people and was like, you want that smoke? And they were like, we think we want that smoke. Wow. And then they took it to the UFC to make it. Here's the funny part about Nate Diaz at this point. And I've said this before, like the relationship with the Diaz brothers in the UFC is totally broken. Totally broken. These guys are making their own fights. <laughs> and like, which I'm not opposed yeah. to, by yeah, the way. Two, hey, 209 promotions. Hey, bro, whatever gets them in there. You know what I mean? Whatever gets them in there. But I find that kind of interesting that they yeah. were just like working outside of the matchmaker model to make this kind of thing hey, if happen. If Nate Diaz asked you if you want that smoke, you should probably ask him to clarify, right? I would take it. Yeah, no, no, I would just take it, actually. I would would not be concerned about what kind of smoke that might be. He is health conscious, uh, Brian Campbell. He is health conscious. And it would be quality. In any event, um, so that's going to be in August in Anaheim, but I I, I believe that, like, if you just begin to think about what the world after is, it's going to be, he could go on another long hiatus. That could be his last fight, to be honest with you. If the UFC plays games with him, you might never see him. He might might not even show up. I think he's going to show up. I think he wants, my understanding is from talking to some folks around him, he wants another big shot at glory. I think, uh, and now, here's the thing. Let's say he beats Pettis. Let's say he gets a title shot or whatever, something that scratches the itch, and that doesn't go well. That probably is the end of Nate Diaz, I I would suspect. I don't think he thinks he can get, I don't think he has it in him to fight with the UFC going forward anymore. Um, 
So this is one last push, I think. So enjoy it while it lasts, donks. How good is the weed in Singapore? Would he ever cash in down there? I don't. Do they do weed in Singapore? I don't know. I don't think that they do. If I'm they, one, I, I investigate that right away. Right. Um, real quickly, I want to talk about Ferguson Cowboy, but uh, it's kind of been talked about already, so we'll just pass it over. It's a great fight. I love it. Happy to see Tony Ferguson back. I want to get to some of the leftovers from the two big events over the weekend. So that would be, of course, UFC 237, Bellator 221. I want to start with the Bellator side, Phoenix. Um, was this finally the moment that everyone realized Douglas Lima is the bee's knees? I think so. I think it gave him a lot of attention. I also thought that a lot of his post-fight press stuff was great, too. And I think that we've talked about Michael Venom Page so much, just even not necessarily just in MMA media, but martial arts media, his conversation has been had uh, over and over and over again as far as techniques and things like that. So sometimes when you beat a popular guy, people say, well, who is that guy? And I think that's what happened here. So not just hardcore Bellator fans. I mean, I think I I posted the fight and then I got a bunch of tweets back to me like, damn, I need to start watching Bellator. So I don't even think it was just good for Lima. I think it was good for Bellator mm. as a whole. Mm. What do you guys think? Uh, it's about time people are waking up and seeing this. I mean, the guy oozes, oozes everything he wants. And he had a great tan and he was extra ripped that <laughs> night. But like, yeah. my, he might be the best welterweight in the world. And it's not crazy to say that. I know he went five rounds of hell with Rory and, and you can argue. Yeah, but he's getting that. better still. He's yeah. evolving. Right, exactly. And he seems to have the right demeanor. He's yeah. he's sort of calm and, and like a silent killer in some ways. Yeah. Not over emotional. You know, it's funny. And he, and when he, I, most time when these guys say it, I, I'm like, Please, stop lying. But when he was like, look, the money is great. And I spoke to him this week as well about it. He's like, look, the money is great. Mm -hmm. I want that title. There's a certain validation competitively that he has not had. Because he did lose to Askren and he did lose to McDonald. Yeah. Albeit, you know, the Askren fight wasn't close, but the McDonald fight was pretty competitive. Yeah. Um, and he's gotten way better since then. He's looking for something when he's as a martial artist that he hasn't gotten yet. He stays mostly injury-free. He took no damage in this one. And Danny, I, I think he's... I, I really think he's better than he was a year or two ago. I absolutely believe that. I think so too, yeah. And, and for example, if you look at the person that took the title from him, Roy McDonald, I mean, I don't want to say he's in a downfall but like you know with his post-fight comments weird space he's definitely in a weird space um so you know this just puts lima you know and i think he might be i think he has to be probably the favorite in that tournament especially how he looked against mm -hmm. mvp so I, I think as far as like the hardcores we already knew how legit he was we've seen you know the highlight reel that, that guy's really skilled he's been really skilled for a long time but i think the casuals are starting to realize because mvp you know He's made, made a big name for himself. You know, that was a big win for him as far as visibility. I think he was hoping to get that by beating Rory. Like, look, I'm legit. I just beat one of the best welterweights. But he wasn't He wasn't able to quite get that. He came close, but not really. Um, so now he has a little bit more visibility. And, you know, he's going to continue on this tournament. Look, that, let me uh, ask you this. Ooh. We just sort of pondered and put it out there. Is Pitbull the greatest fighter in Bellator history now with that win? But is really Doug Lima the best fighter in Bellator right now at the second? In terms of just overall ability, overall ability, I'd still say and Pitbull's the idea of if you could take one Bellator fighter and put him in the UFC top ten in that specific division, who would have the best chance of fitting in right away? I think it's got to be Lima. It would, it's, it's certainly competitive. It's certainly I, I have profound respect for the abilities of, of Douglas Lima, and I'm glad the world is starting to, to to recognize as much. Some of the other odds and ends from UFC 237 is the Nami Yunus factor here. By the way, real quickly for you donks, <laughs> sharing the video of when uh, the high crotch comes from Jessica Andrade, and right before she turns her, she readjusts her grip. Oh, she tapped, just like And Steve people Bain. are yeah. like, she's tapping. I'm like, to what? There's no submission there. There's no there 
there. I don't think it was that. Like you're saying. I, no, I'm no, not, she had a deep grip no, here. It was weird. I'm it not going like, to try to do conspiracy like this, theory and say she tapped, tap. but it was a tap motion. All right? Yeah, yeah. No, she did. She just didn't tap to a submission. There's no submission. Yeah. She didn't tap to exhaustion. She didn't tap to strikes. What's she going to tap to? Lifting a person up in the air? Mm-hmm. Like it's the most nonsense. It's like a theory by definition. One thing that makes a theory what it is, how, do, how, you, how you have a theory versus a hypothesis, is that it has to explain something. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not explaining anything because there's nothing to explain in terms of, of submission. I, okay, anyway. Uh, that aside, there's a Nama Yunus factor here. Big, big, and no one's really talking about it. She got out there in her, what, what is she, 26? Six. Six, yep. Saying, I might, I might be done with this. I interviewed her last Sunday, and that was a bit of a challenge because apparently she was having, you know, she was having some um, competitive challenges emotionally before heading down to Brazil. We had to work out a bunch of different times, and we made it happen. Uh, and she looked great early, but I'll go to you on this one, Phoenix. Have we seen the end of Rose Nami Yunus? Maybe for two years. So, so when you talking about like what happens to your body when you're fighting on a regular basis, and especially if like you're a female and you're as lean as she is, her hormone levels and cortisol levels are just doing this all the time. So she might have just a point of mental and physical fatigue that makes you lose your drive and passion to go to the gym. I mean, we see it in terms of sports science with overtraining. And that can leave you mentally exhausted as well. So even though she had a large break before this, it depends on like how much training that she's doing. And she might feel that from age 18 till like now, this is the only freaking thing that she's done. And she may be just emotionally exhausted. If she took a year to kind of settle back and try the things that she wants, maybe she gets hungry for it again. I mean, it might be happening to her earlier in the game, but she's been doing martial arts for so many years at a high level and competing for so many years. Mm. It might just be a level of like, my body and soul and mind needs to regroup. Because if you're training all the time, I remember training six days a week. And then when I stopped because of a neck injury, I had all this free time. I could call friends. I could go shopping. I could sleep late on the yeah. weekends. It was like and I you, felt you, I had a life. Yeah. yeah, and it, I really. And then after three months, I was like, I get back in the gym. I I need to train. But that six days a week, every single day, you really feel like just a machine over and over again. And there's a lot of joy in it, but there's a lot of fatigue in it too. So when she was talking, I was like, I can understand that. When you feel, especially like as a girl, I don't know if she felt feels this way, but I felt like, oh my God, I look like I'm in sweatpants every day and t-shirt, hair in a bun. I look like I was going to break dance like every five minutes. I couldn't wait to put on a dress and heels and feel like a girl and lip gloss and makeup. And like, I couldn't wait to just not feel like, like that yeah. adrenaline and yeah. aggression in my body and soul all the time. So it, she could be at that point. And especially as a champion, the pressure. I mean, that Ronda Rousey interview with Megan O'Leary where she was talking about yeah, how wrestling right. is so mm-hmm. much easier than MMA. But and it, but, I can see that. The, but it was the mental side of MMA right, that she exactly. pointed to. Yeah. She said the physicality of wrestling is easier than the mental, mental strain of MMA. Well, look, this is something yeah. George St. Pierre, we forget about it. when he After he beat Hendricks and he had that long concussed talk at the press conference, sure. he mentioned the, the mental fatigue and the anxiety that comes on in between fights. Look, it's an it's an unnatural thing to be a fighter and to prepare for war constantly right. and be in a different headspace all the time. And for Rose, she's also married to one of her trainers. It's it's got to be a twenty four seven or sorry engaged a full time thing going on. And I like that this message is sort of coming out through Rose because I think it's easier for fans to understand it. And here's the thing: I have so much respect for Rose. Right? She we know about her mental health battles in the past, about her father's uh, conditions and situations, and mm-hmm. how. 
she sort of found her her center and her core of mental strength, and that was ahead of the Joanna fights, and you saw the way she fought. But at the same time, she said in the buildup to this fight, crying every day in the gym became a regular thing. It's not normal to do this, but right. we think of fighting, we think of cavemen with tattoos, and we think of these early UFC guys, we go, well, if they weren't fighting, no. they'd be on the street fighting anyway. What it anyway. physically does to your hormone levels, your cortisol, your testosterone, estrogen, like the wave of things that happens to you when your adrenaline has to be so high all the time. And also, yeah. like some people who become champion and they love the celebrity, mm, yep. I don't I don't get that she loves the celebrity no, at all. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think I, it, we, we need to be softer in understanding on Ronda Rousey, and I think it be, we all became quick and easy to... to insult her for the way she dealt with loss, but look, to, to wire yourself up for this and, and to build up this false invincibility and then to have it taken from you, yeah. it's, a, it's a crazy mental game, this game. And it's something to me that is just foreign and I, and I don't understand it, but anybody who shows you, whether it's Rory, whether it's anybody who's yeah. like, I may not be wired for this anymore right now. Maybe mm -hmm. I need a couple years off or maybe I just need a new profession. I think we're finally at least able to talk yeah. about well, it now. Well, so that's you good. guys can help me with this because I don't follow any other sports. Besides MMA. Missing out. But like, I know, I know. Uh, I respect all athletes and stuff, but like when I watch football, it's like a mathematic quadratic equation for me. I don't understand what's happening. It's guys running on a giant ruler and they fall on each other. That's what football looks like to me. But what I will tell you about other sports is their seasons. So your body gears up and then it too. drops down yeah. and then it gears up again and then it drops down. So your hormone levels and cortisol training but fighting in the gym, you're fighting, you're training, you're fighting, you're training. And then if you're not in fight camp, you're still training, you're still fighting, you're still sparring. And what's interesting about American football you know? is you get some guys who are offensive linemen who you'll see who have to keep weight on. And that could be its own kind of sure. challenge. But you don't see the weight depletion hardly ever. And also, most NFL players, this is the reality. You get 16 weeks a year where you got to do something. Yeah. That's it. You get 16 of them. Most don't go to the playoffs. And once you do, get eliminated pretty quickly. You know, in the end, it's only two teams that go to the Super Bowl. After that, you got all that free time to, sure. and they have to train yeah. and keep their bodies in yeah, shape. But, but like, it's not, it's not the same. It's not the mm -hmm. same. And also, they are very well compensated financially. I also think that that makes a big difference. Not that Rose is like money hungry, but I wonder if MMA athletes were better paid if you'd see a lot of this mental strain. I wonder if there's some kind of connection. Well, yeah, because I mean, if you, you do you personal, you could even make the case that if they, you know, got paid more, they'd probably be fighting less, or you know, they'd get a big paycheck piece. You know, I'm out for two might. years. They might. Um, but but I think with Rose, like. She's always been like an outcast in, 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 you know, in MMA, like in the sense of like whenever somebody, you know, wins a title, you see Kamaru Usman, you know, every single picture with the belt. You see Henry Zahuda reminding everybody in the comments he's got a belt. You see, you know, Conor McGregor, everybody was, was sort of flaunting, uh, you know, that the fact that they're champions and, and, and they really enjoy that, which is totally fine. Um, but you see Rose when she gets the belt, the first thing she says is like, yo, I don't care about this. Just be a good person, you know. She doesn't really post much on social media. Um, I think she enjoys being a martial artist, but she doesn't necessarily enjoy all that much being a UFC fighter. Um, I think she can scratch the itch of being a martial artist, you know, through being a UFC fighter, but not entirely. And there's some things, some negative things that she doesn't like about it. Um, so I think she's at a point right now where like, she's like, I think eventually the martial artist in her will, will, will be like, look, we, we need to fight. We need to get back in there. Um, but I don't think she has aspirations of like, you know, fame and I want to hold records. I think she's just in it because she loves it. And, uh, you know, on certain it, terms, it yeah. seems like that. Yeah. Right? And, and if she, you know, and if she's getting to a point where like, yo, I don't really like this anymore, then, you know, she's more than willing to, to walk away from it. And that, the crown is so heavy. So I think we can respect it. it the is, message yeah. more coming from her. When GSP said it, we're sort of like, what are you doing, dude? Just get back in the cage. Yeah. I'm like that. We're at least able to look a little bit closer yeah. with the message coming through her. And I interviewed GSP right at the end of that run. He was testy in interviews too, man. He was, you could tell he had had it. You know, it's interesting. It's semi-related, but it's been on my mind a little bit. I actually read a study recently of a 
American college students. And um, this, this number took my breath away. 80% of American college students, either freshmen or sophomores, 80, eight, zero, said that they believed there, it was more important that them, um, that they believed it was more important for their parents uh, that they got into a good college versus um, were kind. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And we live in this generation of show and status right. and accumulation. And to me, Rose is that 20%, I think, who would just rather be kind than these other things. Yeah. Now, I could be wrong about that, and I'm sure she does have some competitive ambitions that remain. It seems to be why she's wrestling with them. But we live in a certain era, I, I really believe, where the youth get pushed in, a, in this kind of direction. And I don't think... I don't think she wants it or is necessarily built for it, and that might be a good thing. She's had such a crazy, unique career when you look at her win-loss record. I mean, like, she was fighting for a title when she was five and three, and you're like, this is just, you know, the second, the first fight with Ioana, and um, it's crazy that this is happening right after a first round against Jessica where she showed you she might be the best in the world. Like, I was legitimately like, like, this might be the best female fighter in the entire world right here. I couldn't believe how good she looked. I was Mm -hmm. amazed, but then Jessica's Jessica. People got upset with the slam, and they shouldn't have. You should watch the Monday Morning Analyst. To understand better why that slam was utterly legitimate. Okay, um, with that out of the way, we have come to the end of the road here. So it's time for our last segment here on the show, Under the Radar, a story that, and there's been a million of them this week, kind of passed by. We didn't even get to it, but worth maybe a very brief mention. Start there so and work this way forward. in line with what we're talking about, about Rose, about the comments from Rory, Tom Dukenwa announced his retirement. Uh, crazy, isn't the it? The fire kid who had a career, unfortunately, that was more like Firefest, right? Like... <laughs> Like, take one for the team. But here's my point. Who I, are you, Brian Campbell? I, I loved this guy when he launched because you, it's rare that you get this, you know, model slash fighter from another country, speaks another language. The marketing potential, his early wins were great. But to walk away at 25, 26 and be like, there's other work I could be doing and I think that'll satisfy me more. Yeah. I think it falls in line with these conversations we're having and specifically about Rory. Yeah. When you start to have that doubt that I'm not that same person again, I don't have that same violent finisher streak in me to do this the right way, you have to get the heck out. Because the worst thing Rory can do, in my eyes, is keep fighting when he has doubt and then up becoming fodder and get knocked out because of that. So anytime someone's doing this, even if it's a couple years to recharge, I could not be more in, in yeah. favor of it. Phoenix, what's under the radar? Uh, well, we kind of loosely talked about it, was Neil Magny getting popped, yep. getting ahead of it, actually, mm-hmm. and saying, like, these are the supplements I take. I hope that they find that it, it wasn't me. He, I'm not a cheater. I really like that he was open about speaking about it like right away. Um, and then my second thing was that a retirement note, uh, Josh Berkman recently re- yes. retired on LFA. I got to I meet him and talk to him. him. Yep. He's like a lovely person. And um, I think that as far as martial artists go, he's probably Don't, don't gonna, his kids have interesting names like Hero and Atlas or something? It's Atlas and I forget the other, the other name, but it's they're basically off of a really cool book. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, he had a great career. He, had, yeah, he actually had a surprisingly uh, I, long career. I think, career. if I'm not mistaken, is he the only person to submit John Fitch? Ooh. Uh, did Paul Harris? Oh, Paul Harris. That's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, but, well, he, he's, but, he's, but he gave it to him. Yeah. He yeah. gave it to him for sure. Danny, what's under the radar? Uh, hashtag MMA retirements. Uh, Uriah, Uriah Faber is hinting uh, a comeback. He wants to come back when the UFC returns to Sacramento, I think in J- July 13th. Yep. Um, and he said either 35 or 145, and, and he seems, you know, Pretty, pretty into into that comeback. Um, you know, I believe he's forty years old now. I just want to throw this out there. Look, if he comes back, do a Henan about. Why, yeah, dude? If he's gonna come back and fight somebody, I think that's that's the no, fight to win. Oh, I like that of a comeback, but not against. Who would you like to see him face? Anybody but Henan Burrell. 
<laughs> I think, you know, that, that'd be like the Legends division at, uh, you know, one thirty. What Danny's saying is Hen and Burrell right now it might be more washed than Faber sitting out. So that's why it would be a competitive Did you guys match. see the picture of the Instagram where he made that announcement? It's him, and I guess, I don't know if it's his wife or his girlfriend, but his partner, yeah. and then their baby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cutest baby in the world, not named mine, but uh, great-looking baby. But did you see the baby's head of hair? It was like no. yours, Phoenix. Oh, I was like, really? is that a real hair? Did they put a wig on the baby? <laughs> Have you not seen it? No. Go look no. at Uriah Faber's picture. Either that baby has the most I impressive... I saw a post, but I didn't focus on the, on the baby's okay. head. Okay, I, I did, because I just had one. Yeah. Yeah. Go look at the baby's head of hair. Either they put a wig on that baby, or that baby has an unbelievable head of hair Aww. already. I mean, Faber's 40, and he's had, you know, amazing hair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The whole yeah. Actually amazing hair. Hair. Yeah. yeah, he does, exactly. Yeah. So I'm thinking, I'm like, this baby has world record hair. Yeah. All right, pretty amazing. <laughs> uh, last but not least, for me, under the radar... Wasn't that under the radar, but Anthony Johnson getting arrested for domestic violence. Now, I'm not here to weigh in on whether there is any truth value to it. Uh, he has vehemently denied through his attorney that there's anything to this. And if you read the reports, there might actually be some reason to believe that there's some nuance to the story. I don't know. We'll wait and see. I make no judgment about Anthony Johnson other than to say that. However, the thing I did want to mention was, <laughs> God, his attorney comes out and says, listen, if Anthony Johnson hits you, your grandkids will feel it. Fighters, please get better attorneys. What are they doing getting uh, attorneys that say if <laughs> if they really wanted to hurt you, it'd be so bad, particularly when Johnson has had previous run-ins to this kind of an effect. It's like, wh- why does every fighter have Lionel Hutt's attorney at law? <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, every free case or every case you win comes with a free pizza. Oops, there's no pizza inside attorney. I don't understand this. And please get better attorneys. Please, please. Especially if you're actually innocent. It'd be to your benefit. All right, here we go. Uh, that's it, guys. We would normally do after the beat, but we got stuff to do, so we are not going to do that today. I believe we're back next week. I don't even know anymore. I can barely keep up because I don't sleep very often, but in any event, we appreciate you guys watching. As always, like the video, subscribe to MMA Fighting. We are barreling down uh, towards 900,000 subscribers on this channel. We are inching ever so closer, so we always appreciate all your subscriptions. Um, oh, under the radar, Brendan Chop comedy special, Saturday night showtime. Yes, yes. Uh, in fact, I'm going to talk to him on my radio show today, so that should be kind of fun. All right, so we are done here for Brian, for Phoenix, for Danny. I am Luke. Hands up, chin down, let him fly. This is the MMA Beat.